1: Brett McKay here and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Now for many men, marriage is seen as an institution that at best stifles them or at worst sets them up for divorce and as a result, financial and emotional ruin. But research is coming out in recent years that suggests that marriage actually offers a lot of benefits to men from making more money, to having a better sex life and, and enjoying a healthier, longer life. Today on the podcast, I talked to one of those researchers. His name is Brad Wilcox. He's a professor of sociology at the University of Virginia, as well as the director of the National Marriage Project. He spent his career researching the impact of marriage has on people's lives, and today on the show, Brad and I discuss the effect marriage has on men, and why officially tying the knot actually makes a significant difference compared to being in a committed, non-married relationship. Uh, We also discuss what men can do to create a lasting marriage, and even the best age to get hitched. Uh, we then shift gears, to talk about his research on fatherhood, particularly the importance of dads in a child's life and the benefits men get themselves from being a dad. Whether you're already married and a dad or thinking about popping the question, you're going to find a lot of insights and surprising information in this podcast. After the show's over, make sure to check out the show notes at aom.is slash men and marriage. Brad Wilcox, welcome to the show. It's great to be here, Brett. Uh, So you're a professor of sociology at the University of Virginia. You're also the director of the National Marriage Project and a senior fellow at the Institute of Family Studies, for Family Studies. And you do a lot of research about marriage, uh, fatherhood, and particularly marriage in men and the benefits that men get from it, as well as the benefits children and the greater society um, gets from men being married. So I'd love to dig into your research a bit. So there's, I feel like for men in marriage today in America, it's either seen as something at best, you know, will restrain you, hold you back, or at worst, you're just setting yourself up for being fleeced uh, in divorce courts. Um, But you've done a lot of research showing these benefits that come from marriage. What are some of those benefits that men get from being married?
0: So when it comes to the most kind of basic goods um, in life, what we find is that men who are stably married, earn more money, have more assets, um, they do better when it comes to their health, and they even enjoy uh, better quality sex lives. So kind of in some basic goods that concern, you know, many ordinary guys, uh, money, health, and sex, uh, we see that uh, men who are stably married are much more likely to be doing well on those outcomes compared to their peers who are uh, both single-single Um, and divorced
1: so what's going on there so for example you know why do men who are married make more money because some would say there's a selection bias going on there people men who are able to maintain a stable relationship probably have attributes that allow them to you know go up the corporate ladder i mean is that what's going on or is there something else
0: well certainly part of the story here is what we call selection where the types of men who get and stay married are more likely to have say good jobs perhaps better social skills um, and other, you know, traits that make them more attractive as husbands. Um, uh, but it's also the case too, that when we kind of look at guys over the life course, what we see is that when men get married, they tend to work harder, um, and they work more hours and they make more money. And also when men get divorced, they tend to often cut back on hours and earn less money. So it's the state of marriage itself. that looks like it's having an impact, um, on men. There's also been a twin study, um, in, uh, Minnesota showing that uh, married twins uh, were doing better financially uh, than their unmarried uh, twin brothers. So that's kind of a pretty compelling evidence. or something about marriage per se that helps men uh, do better in today's workforce.
1: And, you know, with the set, you said that uh, marriage can actually increase uh, the quality of a, a man's sex life. A lot of people, a lot of guys put off marriages like, oh, well, let have this one partner. It'll get boring. So don't want to do that so why why is it that marriage can improve a man's sex life
0: well you know one study found that 54% of men said that they were extremely satisfied with the physical quality of their sex if they were married compared to 44% of cohabiting guys and 43% uh, of single guys that same survey also found that men reported they were more satisfied with the emotional quality of their sexual lives if they were married Versus being cohabiting or single, so you know I think this sort of runs you know counter to a lot of what you might see on on MTV or, or YouTube or movies or, or shows where kind of there's this image out there that the single guys or the cohabiting guys get the best sex. Um, in reality, guys who have a ring on their finger tend to enjoy the highest quality sex, and I think that's for a couple of reasons. Uh, one is that You know, even for guys, uh, a sense of commitment, a sense of trust and security uh, matters uh, in the average sexual relationship. And marriage tends to deliver more security, more commitment, and more trust uh, than the alternatives uh, for guys. Um, And the second thing that's worth, I think, noting about sex is it looks like um, you know, couples who are married are more likely to kind of invest in one another in a whole variety of ways, you know, financially, practically, but also sexually. And so if you're stably married, there's kind of an incentive and an orientation to try to figure out, um, what your, uh, you know, what your spouse, um, you know, likes and to, and to do that. So kind of to be more sensitive to, um, to your partner in the bedroom is just one way of, of understanding this, this finding.
1: Right. I think the report that just came out about, uh, Men in marriage. I mean, it did state that married and cohabitating men have more sex than single men, which is makes sense if you're single, like you don't have a sexual partner there. But uh, cohabitating men typically have more sex than married men, but they report the quality of sex not to be that great.
0: Well, right. So it's important to know, actually, so cohabiting men have the most sex followed then by married men and followed finally by single guys. Um, but again, when it comes to reports of the quality, both the emotional quality of the sex and the physical quality of the sex, we see that married men tend to do better than both their cohabiting um, and single peers. So again, I think we might think about sex as you know, something that's more exotic, You know, whatever else is going to be the most exciting or the best sex. Um, but if you kind of look at, you know, sort of sex in general, again, what we're finding is the guys who are doing it in the married context um, are more likely to report that they're happy with both the emotional and physical quality of that sex.
1: And what about the uh, physical and mental health benefits of marriage for men?
0: Well, we know that men who are are married um, tend to be in in better physical health and better emotional health. So for instance, um, if you look at, uh, recent data among guys in their 20s and 30s um, and ask them you know if they're very happy with life what we find is the guys who are so young, younger men again men in between 20 and 38 um, are about twice as likely so they're very happy with life if they're married uh, versus single or cohabiting so it's a, a pretty strong um, association there in some recent data from the general social survey. Uh, And then when it comes to uh, physical health, uh, we know that guys um, tend to do better on a whole bunch of outcomes. Um, They tend to be less uh, stressed, their immune systems tend to function better, and uh, they tend to recover from things like cancer um, more quickly and more commonly uh, if they're married. And it looks like guys live about nine years longer if they're stably married, then they're single or divorced peers. Um, And so if if you're the kind of guy, for instance, who likes to smoke, it looks like sort of the positive health effects of stable marriage are comparable to the negative health effects of smoking a pack a day. So if you are a smoker, it looks like um, stable marriage can kind of offset Um, the health effects of uh, regularly smoking. But that's just sort of one example of kind of the power of marriage. And, you know, we hear a lot, obviously, today about sort of smoking and health. I think what's striking is how little we hear about sort of the power of marriage um, to help men enjoy um, both psychologically and physically healthier lives. There's a lot of
1: statistics coming out showing that um, younger people, millennials, they're not necessarily... Remaining single, they're 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 doing a lot of cohabitating. They're not getting married. So I mean, what is it about marriage compared to cohabiting cohabitation that gives you these benefits? I mean, I mean, so a lot of people would argue that well, when you're married, like things don't really change from just living with your partner. Like all you now have now is a you know a piece of paper from the state that says you're officially a couple. So I mean, what is it about marriage that Provides these benefits that you probably can't get cohabitating?
0: Well, you know, marriage is really profoundly different than cohabitation. I mean, a lot of people think about marriage as being just a piece of paper. But, you know, I think one way to think about the difference between the two uh, relationships is think about kind of the terms of entry. Um, and, you know, what's interesting when you ask people sort of when they begin to cohabit, if you ask that question of both partners, oftentimes they'll get a different answer because. One partner might count sort of that moment when they started spending three nights a week together, and the other partner might count that moment when, you know, um, one of the partners moved all of their possessions, you know, into their apartment. Um, But the point is, there isn't kind of one particular moment um, that marks that entry into cohabitation, you know, for many couples. By contrast, kind of everyone knows their, their wedding date. Um, and it's it's usually, you know, a situation where you are getting married in front of friends and family members, you know, often in some kind of religious institution. And, you know, you've got music, you have vows, you have people who are looking at you entering into this new relationship. So it's just a very different way of sort of starting a relationship. And one is much more sort of public and social um, than the other. And so that kind of different entry is just one example of the way in which uh, marriage, I think, conveys a lot more seriousness, um, a lot more commitment. And those things then engender more trust, uh, more emotional security, um, and much more stability. Uh, we see today in America, uh, and really, really around the world, uh, that married couples tend to enjoy much more stability uh, than their cohabiting peers. So again, some people are under this mis- <clears throat> the only difference between the two things is this piece of paper. Um, But because marriage is a much more committed institution, uh, both individuals, couples, and their larger community of friends and family tend to view a married relationship uh, much differently than a cohabiting one. And it affects how they view their own relationship and how other people trust them. So for instance, folks who are married are much more likely to get um, financial support and assistance. Um, from their parents or their in-laws, so to speak, uh, than couples who are cohabiting because the parents have more confidence that that support will be kind of going to the couple. And now it is any kids that they might have, um, on a kind of more permanent, you know, basis. Um, another example, a practical example is that guys who are married, uh, tend to save hundreds, if not thousands of dollars on uh, car insurance. Um, compared to their peers who are cohabiting or single. And again, this is because you know companies have done the numbers and find there's something about marriage that tends to make guys um, drive more safely. Um, and that's just one other indication of the way in which marriage is really a distinctive institution, even today, for uh, today's men.
1: Yeah, I thought that was interesting, your point about how um, cohabitation, the the date of entry into the relationship is different for everybody, it's fluid. Um, we had Dr. Meg J on the podcast several years ago. She wrote the book, The Defining De- Decade. She talks about um, cohabitation as you're sort of sliding into a relationship, right? Like <laughs> you're not really making a firm commitment. you're just kind of just going with the flow and it just sort of happens. And something about that doesn't provide the stability of making a firm commitment.
0: Yeah, so cohabitation today gives young adults a lot of freedom and flexibility. And that's obviously appealing and attractive in some ways. But the flip side to that is it doesn't have the same degree of commitment and the same degree of security and you know kind of at our our deepest levels you know and in our most vulnerable moments we really want someone who's there for us you know where there isn't kind of that that freedom to 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 leave if you know if you're not that happy in the relationship um, you know at one moment in time and of course the other thing that's important to put on the table here as well is that today a lot of younger adults are cohabiting and having kids in those cohabiting relationships and that is, I think, the most worrisome thing I would say about cohabitation because those relationships are much less stable um, than our married relationships. So people who are having their kids in married, um, in a married relationship are much more likely uh, to go the distance with their kids um, compared to couples who are having a baby in a cohabiting relationship. So again, marriage gives not just adults, but especially kids a um, a, a stability, um, premium that's, uh, really valuable to, uh, to the next generation.
1: Well, yeah, you did a report a while back ago about the rise of unmarried couples who are having children. I mean, besides the stability, what are the other detriments or the lack of stability? What are the, some of the other detriments of, that cohabitation possess or poses to children?
0: Well, kids in cohabiting relationships are one more likely to experience instability Two, they're more likely to see their parents um, be physically violent with one another. I think partly because their, their parents are less likely to have that commitment and trust, you know, guiding their relationship. And kids in cohabiting um, households are, you know, more likely to sort of sense that, that that, you know, that sort of that trust and commitment isn't as strong um, or as publicly kind of noted for their parents you know, as it might be for you know, say friends down, uh, down the block, so to speak. So there are just a variety of ways in which, um, because it entails less commitment and less trust and also actually less sexual fidelity, um, you know, it's not as ideal for child rearing um, as, as marriages. Now, it's also important in all of this that it's not just sort of um, a marriage license that matters. It's also kind of a marriage mentality, I think, that matters. And so what I would say is it's, you know, couples who really think of themselves as married, who think of themselves in terms of we, not me, or of we, not I, um, who think about their marriage in terms of this is a kind of permanent commitment, not a kind of, you know, commitment that's for as long as I shall love. Um, It's those couples who are more kind of, committed to marriage um, and to a lifelong um, love um, also tend to, not surprisingly, enjoy more stable relationships. Uh, they tend to be happier in their relationships, and they tend to invest more in one another, uh, practically, you know, financially, uh, emotionally, in ways that um, redound to long-term, typically, to both their own benefit, to the benefit of their spouse and, um, to the benefit of their kids as well. So again, when we're talking about marriage, it's not just the law. It's not just the license. It's also kind of whether or not a couple kind of really embraces uh, what I would call a marriage mentality shapes, you know, their odds of enjoying the, uh, the highest quality, um, relationship.
1: So what's the state of marriage in America today? Is it still a goal for a lot of people or they is it sort of becoming, you know, push to the
0: wayside. Well, I think marriage is in a kind of a weird spot because, on the one hand, I think that uh, marriage remains the gold standard; um, it remains kind of the ideal. Um, but you know, in the pop culture, with shows like *Bachelor* and *Bachelorette*, with you know, music and and movies, I think we often have an overly idealized vision of marriage as kind of like the soulmate relationship or this romantic. Uh, relationship where you can signal to your partner and to your friends and to yourself that you've kind of made it, you know, emotionally, relationship-wise, even financially. Oftentimes today, um, the problem with that view is it doesn't kind of appreciate, I think, kind of the practical character of marriage and um, and the demands that marriage puts upon us. I mean, marriage, of course, is not uh, for most of us is not an easy relationship. It's really, oftentimes, a pretty hard one to be in. Uh, relationship with someone, you know, day in and day out, um, with all of their faults and failings and with all of your own faults and failings. Um, so I think what's missing oftentimes today is an appreciation of the way in which, you know, marriage is a difficult undertaking, but nevertheless one that's, um, you know, really important and valuable, um, you know, both for us adults, uh, for our children, um, and, uh, for our communities and even the country, because, um, when marriage is strong we see that kids are more likely to flourish uh, communities are more likely to um, be healthy and thriving and even our own research suggests you know that um, states with stronger marriage cultures tend to do better for instance you know economically uh, than states that don't have that strong marriage culture so uh, in terms of talking about kind of the character of marriage i would say on, on the plus side marriage still is an important part of um, American ideals. Um, and it's also the case on the plus side that we've actually seen divorce come down since the height of the Doris Revolution in the 1970s, 1980s. Um, and particularly among college educated Americans, um, stable marriage really is sort of the defining feature of family life. Um, the problem, though, when it comes to marriage is that we do see a growing marriage divide in the United States where working class and poor Americans today are less likely to get and stay married. Um, I think partly because they have kind of the soulmate view of marriage, like everything has to be kind of perfect for them to either get married or stay married, um, and partly because they have the economic resources to uh, to navigate married life. And then we're also seeing too that I think a lot of younger adults are are needlessly postponing marriage, um, and because they have kind of this idealized, you know, soulmate uh, model of marriage um, that makes them expect perhaps too much of both themselves and potential partners. You know, before they go into marriage. So, you know, those are some of the things that indicate kind of the way in which marriage is not as strong or as powerful as it used to be. Um, and my biggest concern, I guess, in terms of looking at, you know, more negative trends related to marriage family life is that, um, you know, a large share of younger folks, particularly, are, are having kids outside of marriage. Um, and about 40% of babies now are born outside of marriage. And, you know, that's associated with a lot of instability for those kids and, you know, a number of negative outcomes for those children.
1: So there, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, first, so this, the the divorce rate being high amongst um, just working class, high school educated Americans. I mean, is there anything that can be done? Are there any research backed uh, moves that can be done to help that, improve that? I
0: think there are, are really... Uh, two big things that, that could be done. Uh, one is on the economic front to do more both in in the marketplace and in our, our public policies to strengthen um, job opportunities for men who don't have college degrees. Uh, so for instance, we can do, I think, a much better job in terms of vocational training and apprenticeships um, on the public policy side of the of the ledger, um, and that would help make working class men, less educated men, you know, more economically attractive, I think, as husbands, both in, in their partner's eyes and also in their own eyes, which is important. Um, on the cultural side of of things, I think it's important um, to stress that we need to do more in terms of public messaging, like we have with, um, you know, with smoking, for instance, um, and in the popular culture, you know, in our, our movies, our TV shows, our songs, now our vines, <laughs> to sort of basically show the power of marriage uh, for younger adults, you know, the way in which you know marriage, even though it's, you know, it's demanding and difficult, um, does, you know, um, provide us with so many um, important social goods and personal goods. Um, and then, also just to stress look if you're if you 're expecting a child if you 're looking to have a child, really the best thing you can do for that child is is to um you know is to be married before your child comes you know comes along and then to do everything you can to to remain married you know once you have you know kids um to get those messages out I think to the broader culture um, and in ways that are sort of accessible and engaging would be really helpful and strengthening. Uh, marriage and the stability of family life and working class and poor communities.
1: Are there any uh, pop culture examples where you feel like they're doing a good job with that?
0: Yeah, that's that's a good question. I mean, I think uh, This Is Us is one example of a recent show that does a good job of that. And um, I think that there are others out there, but I just, um, you know, I don't have a a bunch of those right at the sort of tip of my fingers here.
1: So you also mentioned that young people are putting off marriage longer and longer. I think it's the highest since, you know, I think like the 1930s, right? The, the age of marriage, um, it was really low in the post-war era. Kids, you know, people were getting married in their early twenties. Um, and a lot of people feel like they need to put off marriage until they have like a job, they finish college, et cetera. Is that necessarily the case? Do you have to be financially stable in order to start a marriage or is it okay to start a marriage when you're poor, broke college students?
0: I think um certainly I mean I know plenty of folks who have gotten married um in graduate school when they were <laughs> relatively broke um and you know have done done well. Um but I, I think I guess what I would say is that generally speaking, um it's valuable to have, I think, at least um, you know, um uh, some experience in, in the in the workforce before getting married so i would i would definitely say having you know had at least you know a year um of, of stable work is a good thing to have under your belt before you go ahead and get married um and we do know that from both the perspective of you know of the man and of the woman that you know particularly his stable employment is a major predictor of um her willingness to go ahead and get married um and then also kind of the stability of their marriage after that wedding day so um, I think it's important to do all you can to kind of find some kind of work. It uh, doesn't have to be, a, you know, a job that's bringing in, you know, six figures. Um, but I think having had some experience in labor force um, can be helpful for kind of grounding people before they go ahead and get married.
1: Is there a, an age where you know, where it's too late? Like, you know, when you, the longer you put off marriage, does it get harder to actually settle down and find a partner?
0: Well, I think it certainly is somewhat harder for folks after they turn 30, you know, to get married and particularly as they approach their forties and beyond to, to marry. Um, and it's interesting when you look at sort of the link between agent marriage and um, divorce and the agent marriage and marital quality, you see somewhat different patterns in terms of kind of what's the ideal age to get married. So when it comes to divorce, it looks like kind of the ideal age to get married is in your late twenties or early thirties. That's when we see kind of the the lowest divorce rates for the average American. When it comes to marital quality, we actually have a different story And there. It kind of looks like getting married in your mid twenties is kind of ideal. Um, So couples who get married in their mid twenties report the highest levels of marital quality. Um, And I think the, the, you know, the the conclusion that I would draw from that is that, you know, um getting married a little bit older might be associated with kind of a maturity orientation um that is itself, you know, linked to a somewhat lower divorce risk. Um, but getting married in your mid-20s sort of allows you as a couple to establish a common life together. Um and, you know, sort of that tradition of of vacations or holidays or um you know, even kind of having kids and sort of establishing, um, you know, kind of a, an agreed upon approach to, you know, to work and professional life can be, um, you know, can be good.
1: Wedding season is coming up. And if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day, wear a custom made to measure suit. A lot of fun, and then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in the U.S. with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the United States? So if you want to try fast-growing trees right now, they have some of the best deals online, like up to half off on select plants. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when they use code manliness at checkout. That's an additional 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com using code manliness at checkout. Fastgrowingtrees.com, code manliness, offers valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. All right, if you have a family, then you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make, and the start of the new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric by Gerber Life was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. There's no risk to apply. They have a 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can cancel at any time. I remember when I was a new dad, I had a lot of thoughts going through my head. One of them was, how can I take care of my family when I'm gone, if something happens to me? Well, it's so one of the first things I did. I got term life insurance, one of the best decisions I made. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash manliness. That's meetfabric.com slash manliness. M-E-E-T-fabric.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's zipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Right. I mean, in your research, have you come across anything about attributes or qualities or uh, that you know, people should have before they go into a marriage? Because like, I mean, I get a lot of letters from guys asking me, like, you know, I'm in my mid 20s, I'm thinking about mar- getting married, but like all my friends say I'm too young. How do I know if I'm ready? for marriage. So you mentioned, you know, have a little bit of working experience comes in handy, but anything else that lets you know, yeah, you might be
0: ready for this commitment. I think the guys who are, who really do feel, um, you know, uh, committed, deeply committed to, to this person who are kind of, um, want to, you know, go all out for her is that's, you know, pretty important as an ingredient to, uh, to marital success. Um, I think guys who are kind of willing to cut back on other friendships to some extent, you know, and, and focus on um, this relationship in particular, are also kind of signaling that they're ready for marriage. Um, I think that um, guys who have, you know, made an effort to um, get to know um, their future spouses, you know, parents, and sort of signal their interest to, to them is also that's a good sign. Um, we also see too the couples who enjoy shared religious attendance are more likely to um, be doing well, both in terms of the quality of their marriages and in terms of the stability of their marriages. So if you're, you know, if you're 22 or 23 and you're attending a church or a synagogue or a a mosque together um, and you share that common religious orientation commitment, um, that's going to tend to ground your marriage in ways that will, you know, put you in um, good shape for, uh, for a common future together.
1: So we've talked about like, getting married, but like what do you do once you're married because uh, like you don't want to get divorced because I think there's statistics out there research shows that divorce for men can just be devastating. I mean, it can devastate your finances, obviously, for obvious reasons, uh, but it can also devastate your mental and physical health also. Um, so how do you avoid that? How can what can men do to foster a, a happy marriage?
0: Well, you know, I think one thing, of course, is when it comes to marriage that men need to be sort of, you know, as as do women, need to be careful. You know, I think we often make marriage decisions based upon how attractive someone is. And I'm not just saying physically, but you know, this will be part of, it, but sort of physical characteristics, you know, are they funny? Are they engaging? You know, are they sort of good in a social setting? You know, so it's easy to kind of put on a good good front, you know, in um you know, in, in public and or out on dates and things like that. But, you know, I think we have to be sort of discerning about whether or not this person has the character. Um, do they have virtues like, you know, fidelity, do they have virtues like charity, do they have virtues like thrift, <laughs> um, today especially? Um, because those virtues are going to be much more predictive of a stable, happy marriage, um than um looks or, you know, humor or whatnot. So I think You know, one needs to be thinking about, do we have the kind of uh, virtues and the kind of common interests, you know, um, whether it's sports or politics or hiking or, you know, religion, whatever, that will help ground a marital friendship. And so couples that have those virtues and that have those common interests, who can see themselves as friends when they're 75, old and ugly, um, will tend to do pretty well. Um, By contrast, couples who I think are just drawn together um by that sort of sexual romantic attraction more likely to run into trouble Um, but then once you are married i would say that generosity um, is certainly an important predictor of marital success Um, shared faith can be an important predictor of marital success Um, also particularly the husband having a stable job all these things tend to reduce Uh, the risk of divorce uh, for couples after the wedding day.
1: All right. So love with your heart and your head is what you're saying.
0: Yeah. I would also actually, I would also add too that your friends matter a great deal. Um, And I can remember reading that when Mark Sanford got into marital trouble um, down in South America, he was with a bunch of his male buddies and at this ranch um, in South America. And that's when he met, um, you know, the woman who helped break up his marriage, um, with whom we, you know, um, had that affair. Um, but I was just thinking, those guys clearly were not invested, you know, in his marriage. Um, by contrast, you know, we all know uh, friends who, who take our marriage, who take our family life pretty seriously. And so, you know, I think it's, it's also important to think about the kinds of people you're hanging out with. Are they there for you and for your wife and your marriage? Or are they likely to say things and do things that are going to put your marriage um, at risk? Um, and so again, we know that sort of your social networks um, they matter for a lot of things. One of the things that they matter for is your divorce risk and if you have a, a friendship network that's um, you know takes marriage seriously that's going to have a big impact on your own marriage.
1: Great so let, let's shift to fatherhood now. Um, I think all of us have read or heard somewhere that you know fathers are important in a child's development but what what specifically does a father bring to a, a, a child that a mother, Can't bring.
0: Well, you know, I was raised by a single mother, and I think that, you know, moms can do many of the things that dads can do, um, particularly in some kind of difficult situation, as my mom was, you know, was sort of put in when uh, um my father died when I was three. Um, so you know, moms can be firm, they can be decent disciplinarians, um, they can certainly play with their kids and all those things. But Having said that, I think it's important for us to sort of understand that in the average family, you know, with the average father and the average mother, dads tend to excel in at least four different areas. Um, they tend to still today excel when it comes to breadwinning. And of course, that matters for, you know, educating your kids, you know, paying for kids extracurriculars, you know, all the kinds of financial things that go into raising children today. So, you know, the fact that he brings Typically, more money to the table is is still an important factor for the average American father. Uh, Secondly, though, dads um, also tend to have kind of a leg up. It's kind of, again, more of an old school point, but tend to have a leg up when it comes to discipline. Um, The size, physical size of men, the tone of their voice, and other kinds of features of men make them more likely to be the more authoritative disciplinarian in the average family. Um, they're also more likely to be sort of sticklers for rules than uh, than our moms. And my point here is not to say that men are better disciplinarians than women, but they just they provide a different kind of discipline um, to their kids typically than do moms. And it's actually good for kids to experience kind of maternal discipline, which is a little bit more flexible, oftentimes a little bit less attentive to the rules, more attentive to the situation. But also to experience dad's discipline, which tends to be a little bit less flexible and more rule-based, you know, um, and whatnot. So. Kids get, you know, I think a a valuable experience by having both those uh, styles of discipline. Um, But thirdly, kind of moving beyond those sort of traditional points about men as breadwinners and men as disciplinarians in the home, we also are seeing today that um, when it comes to play, um, the power of play in kids' lives, um, that dads tend to be more likely to challenge their kids to... um, sort of rough and engaging physical play. You know, so if you go to a local playground, for instance, a local park, you're more likely to see, you know, the dad of that toddler taking that toddler and throwing him up, you know, into the air, catching him to the toddler's squeals and, and laughter, and then, you know, and then doing that over again. Mom's much more likely to sort of attend to the toddler's physical well-being and security. So that kind of approach to, to play, you know, is 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 great for kids. In fact, we we know that kids who rough house with their dads Tend to be um, more socially popular in elementary school than kids who don't do a lot of uh, roughhousing with their dads. So, kind of learning how to handle their their bodies, um, you know, and not bite, kick, you know, punch, et cetera, in that roughhousing context, I think seems to, you know, have some impact on on kids' interactions on the playground and and other places. Um, And then fourth, we know that. You know, the dads do tend to kind of push uh, their sons and their daughters to embrace uh, life's challenges and life's opportunities, to kind of push them out of the nest, if you will. Um, and so, both again, young men and young women who have come from um, well fathered homes um, are more likely to flourish in school and they're more likely to flourish in the labor force. Um, so, there's even, I think, a kind of a, almost a feminist case to make for uh, for having, um, you know, a good dad in the picture because he tends to, you know, help his sons and his daughters, uh, prepare for, um, the world outside the home.
1: So yeah, dads can provide a lot of benefits to children, but, uh, do men get any benefits, emotional, psychological, or otherwise from being dads?
0: Well, I think, you know, for many men, fatherhood is enormously, uh, enormously generative. Um, and there's certainly ways in which I think when you are a father, um, you know you can be stressed out um you can you know be um temporarily unhappy by you know whatever challenge you're facing in terms of a child you know up at night or a teenage um you know daughter or son who's giving you a lot of difficulty at home um but kind of from a longer term perspective uh, we see that uh dads more likely report that their lives are meaningful um compared to men who don't have um who don't have kids um, and so I think that's that kind of you know that sense of meaning and purpose that one derives from fatherhood that you know is enormously important to uh you know to many of us so men. yeah
1: there, so you make a distinction between meaningfulness and happiness because I've seen that study that shows that um, couples who have children like their happiness level like goes through this trough when they have kids and when their kids leave their home it goes back up so so you're I guess that's tracking like emotional happiness like how well you feel on a day-to-day basis not meaningfulness
0: yeah i mean i think it also it's important to note you know that there is a lot of what we call kind of heterogeneity you know, or a lot of variation and sort of the impact that kids have on couples um and on individual uh, mothers and fathers but you know yeah, f- for many people you know having a kid can be obviously stressful and difficult um and it's particularly that first child that seems to be um, you know, something that kind of reorients your whole life um, and makes you kind of um, transition um, into a new mode. What's interesting, I think, and surprising, though, is that um, work that I've done with some colleagues suggests that fathers of married fathers of of larger families, four or more kids, um, seem to be more happily married than married dads with fewer kids. And I, and frankly, this that could be entirely a selection effect, by which I mean the kinds of men who are, you know, stably married and have lots of kids may just be, you know, more likely to enjoy uh, family life, you know, more likely to, um, you know, um, to be intentional about um, investing on the home front. Um, But it does suggest to us that, you know, it's not necessarily sort of um, the number of kids always, but maybe the approach one takes to family life that can be important here
1: are are women with large families just as happy as men i mean i imagine they're they're the ones at home with watching the kids probably
0: so in a report that the national marriage project did called when baby makes three uh we found that when it came to um sort of happiness um in marriage that married couples with uh with no kids and with four or more kids uh, were happier and this is true for both husbands and wives so again you know, it's not clear here if having a large family makes you happier um, or I think it's actually probably more likely if the kinds of couples who remain stably married and have lots of kids, um, they're probably just more intentional about, you know, family vacations, family traditions, you know, um, really investing in their, you know, in their common life together as a family, doing, you know, fun things, crazy things, et cetera, are probably the kinds of people who just are, you know, end up having um, more children and reporting happier marriages um, as a consequence.
1: Is there any research out there about, you know, when a couple knows when they're ready to have children? Like, are there attributes that a couple should have before they're like, okay, we're going to bring a kid into this relationship?
0: You know, I haven't seen anything really good on that score. I mean, I think that, um, you know, from... Probably from my perspective, you know, once you've made that commitment to, uh, to marry um, and gotten married, you know, and you have, you know, both sets of in-laws, in a sense, in your corner, um, you know, you're ready to go ahead and, and have that child. Um, but I honestly haven't seen anything that kind of really looks carefully at the timing of childbirth and its, you know, impact on the quality or stability of uh, married life for, you know, for couples
1: i'm just curious is there any piece of research that you came across or have you know done that the results surprised you in terms of men in marriage and men in fatherhood where you weren't expecting this result but like you got it You're like wow this is this is crazy
0: the thing that's kind of most surprised me is that we have this is we've done some work internationally um, a number of colleagues and i have and i kind of assumed that across the world, um, kids would be more likely to be flourishing in school if they were part of a stably married family. And uh, what we found is that in parts of uh, the developing world, in parts of Latin America and Southern Africa and in Southern Asia, uh, that wasn't always the case. Um, Sometimes kids would do as well or better if they were being raised by a a single mother and as i explored that issue uh, with some colleagues what it looks like it might be is that you know in some places there's not a great expectation for the father to be really involved with his kids um, education or to devote his um you know his money to um you know to the kids uh, education so in those contexts perhaps you know having a father in the household isn't always going to be helpful on the educational front so that was kind of was eye-opening for me just basically signaled that when we're thinking about something like marriage and family structure, we also have to attend to the culture, you know, and to the family process. Um, And so a culture that basically encourages men to be um, considerate, responsible, self-sacrificing husbands and fathers um, is going to be one where I think generally speaking, you know, women and children are more likely to flourish uh, but if a culture encourages men to be more macho, or you know, um, you know, not to really attend, you know, in in deep ways to um, you know to their wife or to their children, you know, we can't expect that the presence of a father will always, you know, or will typically always be linked to better outcomes for for you know for women or children.
1: So, what's the state of American fatherhood today? I mean, has it? Has it changed, like what what we expect from dads? Has it changed from, say, nineteen fifties? Like, what's the cultural expectation, I guess, of dads?
0: Yeah. So, in terms of American fatherhood today, I would say it's the best of times and it's the worst of times. And a lot of you know whether it's the best of times, you know, for for kids, the worst of times for kids depends upon your zip code. Um, and so, if you're in a zip code that's more affluent and more educated or more religious, you know, you're you're in a place where typically fathers are um you know spending more time with their kids than ever um and you know in some ways are more you know more affectionate and more attentive to their children than ever and in many respects that's a that's obviously a good thing um but if you're in other zip codes um this is true for you know African American kids white kids Hispanic kids um You know, you're going to find a world where, um, you know, dads are not stably connected to their children. They don't necessarily live with their kids. Um, They often might not see their kids on a weekly basis. And, you know, in those working class and poor zip codes, um, in some ways, it's the worst of times, you know, for American fatherhood because kids are not able to have. Strong and stable and abiding connections to their fathers, they don't wake up in the morning with Dad you know uh, next to them or Dad in the next room and um and those kids you know um are more likely to flounder in school and more likely to end up you know incarcerated more likely to have difficulty in the labor force um because they you know they didn't have the opportunity or the privilege of having a um, you know, a good relationship, a stable relationship with uh, with their dad. So, um, you know, it really is a kind of a, um, the picture for American fatherhood really is um, pretty uh, schizophrenic, if you will.
1: And, you know, part of what you're doing with your work with the Institute of Family Studies and the Marriage Project is to help, you know, provide policy suggestions to promote marriage. Um, we talked about that, but like anything that you you're all institute as um suggestives for policy changes to encourage fatherhood or that sort of uh ideal of fatherhood that we that you're striving for
0: well i think in terms of public policy um you know measures it's important to note that at the end of the day what happens probably in los angeles is more important than what happens in in washington dc you know to recognize that the culture pop culture has a bigger role in affecting you know how Um, Americans sort of approach family life than does what happens, you know, um, up on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. or in the White House. Um, but having said that, it's important to recognize that we could do, I think, a better job on the policy front. And, um, I think in particular, um, you know there are two things that we could do um, better. One is I think, as I mentioned before, just to do a better job of, of educating um, young women and young men who are not on that college track um, in terms of better vocational education, better apprenticeship training, um, you know, better efforts to connect them to um, jobs out there that pay a decent wage, whether it's you know being a plumber, being an electrician, um, doing advanced IT work or advanced manufacturing or some other kind of job that that pays a a decent, you know, a good wage um, and makes, you know, our our young adults more likely to to be uh, good prospects for marriage. Uh, A second point, though, I think is to sort of think very seriously and deeply about the way in which uh, our welfare system, I'm using welfare in the the broadest possible um, sense of that word, you know, may unintentionally... Um, discourage or penalize marriage. Um, and so because we do have um, income you know thresholds, if you will, um, where if your income goes above a certain threshold, you tend to lose access to a um, you know to some kinds of assistance or it, it tends to taper. Um, what that means is that in practice, policies like uh, Medicaid or uh, food stamps, um, or in fewer cases, cash welfare, can end up um, you know, subtly, I think, um, discouraging or not so subtly discouraging marriage. You know, talking to people who, working class couples who, who say, you know, we, we're sort of th- thinking about marriage, but we, you know, we're sort of concerned too that we're going to lose access to Medicaid you know, if, um, <clears throat> if we go ahead and get married. And you know, that, that can be a big, obviously, concern you know, when you're having a child. Um, or when you already have um, one or two kids. So from a public policy vantage point, I think we should do more to try to minimize or eliminate the marriage penalty facing um, working class and, and poor families. You know, as one way to make um, our public policies more marriage friendly.
1: Well Brad this has been a great conversation we scratched the surface where can people learn more about your work
0: I think the best place to go to really understand the work of the Institute for Family Studies is family-studies.org um on um you know on the internet I'm also on Twitter at WilcoxNMP. Um, and those are two good places to sort of learn more about the research, um, that we're doing on marriage, uh, cohabitation, and fatherhood, both in America and around the globe.
1: Fantastic. Brad Wilcox. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure.
0: It's great to be on with you uh, today, Brett.
1: My guest today was Brad Wilcox. He's the director of the national marriage project. You can find more information about that at nationalmarriageproject.org. He also works with the Institute of Family Studies and you can find more information about them at family-studies.org. And you can download that study about men and marriage there. Um, that we reference. So go check that out. And also make sure to check out the show notes at aom.is slash men and marriage, where you can find links to resources um, that we discuss in this topic. So you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. This show is recorded on clearcast.io. If you're a podcaster, go check it out. Something I developed to make recording remote podcasts a lot easier and sound better for your listeners. As always, appreciate your team support. And one of the ways you can do that is give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps that a lot. Until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly.